Amen. All right, grab a seat, except for the kids heading off. Uh, not sure who has the kids today. They're on their own today. Uh, I left them a case of Mountain Dew and Bourbon Markers, so they should be all good. And uh, no, actually, uh, they're down there waiting for them. And uh, oh, Mary Beth. Mary Beth. All right, good, good, good. And uh, heading down. All right, very cool. Hey, um, where's my wife at? Hey, hey, let me give you your keys before you know me. Hey, uh, so, uh, yeah, God works it all out. That should have been in the praise jar because it would have been in the complaint jar if she didn't have an extra set. Right, Chris? All right. Hey, so, uh, man, I am really excited. I love when God is moving. I love when you know what he's doing. And I like to try to stay in that state all the time. I mean, how many of y'all love to, to have the confidence that you're doing what God wants you to be doing? Isn't that an awesome way to be? And that's, the, that's where we want to stay. We want to stay in that permanent, just 24-7 relationship with him. And so, but, but sometimes he's kind of silent. We just have to trust him through faith. But it's awesome when he's speaking to our heart. And so this morning, I want you to know we're doing communion. Maybe one of you prayed for it. Said, Lord, please give us a break from a two-hour message. And let us just have a three-hour communion. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I, I got peppers cooking in the oven, so I, I can't quit till they're done. All right? You understand? No, I'm just joking. But, but literally, seriously, man, uh, last night, uh, man, I've been working on this message all week out of the next section in Colossians. And uh, it's a section on why in the world would you... Would you settle for a knockoff? You know, how many of you ever bought a knockoff of something and then found out you were disappointed because you got ripped off on a knockoff? Why would you ever settle for a knockoff when you have the authentic? And I was so ready to preach that. I'm not going to preach it now. I'm going to preach it next week. But God would not let me last night. As I'm praying last night, um, as, I'm, as I'm looking, and even I, I said, all right, you know what? I'm just going to bed. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I got no idea. I, I think you want me to do communion. I'm, I mean, that's what you're saying, but yet, man, this message is so good, God. I can't wait to hear what you have to say in it. And I woke up this morning, it's communion, 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 communion. It's like, all right, here we go. And so when we do communion here at Driftwood, we go over the same set of scriptures. We use the same outline, but uh, God's fresh, God's new. And so he always takes it maybe a little bit different in a direction. But uh, communion is something that, as a New Testament church, we're commanded to celebrate. Uh, we're commanded to do that. We're commanded to do that ordinance and to do baptism. Some people believe we're commanded to do foot washing. And so if you think that's the case, then you could just go ahead and stick your foot in the person next to you's lap, all right? And see how they feel about that. But uh, it is a beautiful thing. I, I know some of the small groups have done it. It's an awesome thing. But we are commanded to, uh, to, to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection through the baptism. When I baptize you, if I have the privilege of baptizing you, you're standing in the water. And when you stand in the water, what does that look like? It looks like a cross. I take you under the water. That represents Jesus' death and burial. And do I leave you there? Only if I don't like you. No, I'm just like, no, I bring you back up. When I bring you back up, it celebrates Jesus' resurrection. And did you know in the Bible, it doesn't really tell us that we're supposed to celebrate his birth. Did you know the Bible doesn't really say we're supposed to celebrate Christmas? It doesn't say that anywhere. I'm not saying we're not going to. I'm not saying we don't because of that and so on. Uh, but I'm saying, you know, we celebrate that. With, in fact, many people uh, go to church on Christmas and Easter. Those are two times. But the Bible really doesn't tell us we're supposed to celebrate his birth. We're supposed to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection because that's where our life comes from. Am I grateful he came? And can we celebrate Christmas? Absolutely. We can do that. But so that, that, that baptism represents Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And, uh, and, and, and it also represents you dying to your old life where you're the boss. And when I bring you back up, it represents you rising, uh, telling everybody that now Jesus is the boss of your life. And you're going to live in that resurrection power that he makes available to you. And so that's baptism. And again, so it celebrates that resurrection. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a time when we're supposed to really refocus as a church. Some people do it every week and they for a little bit. Some people do it, you know, every couple of weeks. They have it on a routine, quarterly, whatever, every, five, every fifth Sunday, whatever. We do it when God tells us to do it. And I'm telling you, God told us to do it today. And so, again, it celebrates his resurrection. It's a time for us to get regrounded, 
to remember what the purpose of the church is, what your purpose is in the church, and what we're supposed to be doing as we're out into this, out in this world. And it gives us a time to kind of have communion, some time together with God to make sure we're on track. Hey, what does the word communion mean? We had some communion this week, didn't we? Yes, we did. Jerry and I had fish taco communion, right? That's right. And, and, and what does the word communion mean? What did we do? We, we commune together. We spent time together, time where we could just talk, time where we could just hang out, except when the police boats were going by and yeah, we were talking. But, but communion is where you commune with each other. You actually spend some time. I hope you're doing that with the Lord on a regular basis. But, man, we should be doing that every chance we get. We should be doing it every time we, we think about it. But we're commanded. God knows as human beings living in this world, it's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to get displaced. It's easy for us to kind of get preoccupied. So he says, man, when I tell you to, I want you to take time out and I want you to have communion. And so it's a time for us to come together and spend some time with God. And, and so I'm not going to teach you anything new today if you've ever been in one of our communion services. But instead, I'm going to facilitate us an opportunity to look in the appropriate directions in our life and to be able to really see where you are with Christ. To, to, so that if you're in the right place with Christ, the church is in the right place with Christ. And we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in this community, in every community that you represent. How many of you all live somewhere else some part of the time? 75% of you probably do. And what a privilege it is to have you here. And so when you go back, you represent Christ in that community too. So we're going to look in four directions. We talk about it. Four. How many of you all already know those four directions? You've been here and you're like, dude, I could preach this message in my sleep. All right, well, come up here and do that. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I wouldn't let you because I'm supposed to. But we're going to look in four different directions. We're going we're gonna to look back. Everybody put your arms up. A little worse aerobics real super quick. We're going to look back to what Christ did for us. We're going to look forward to him coming again. We're going to look in to judge ourselves so God doesn't have to, so that our focus then will be to look out. Okay, so we're going to look back, forward, in, and we're going to look around or look out in those directions. And that's really what communion is. You know that you could have communion at your house anytime you want. You can have any small group anytime you want. It doesn't have to be done in a church, but he tells us that we are to do it in the church. So you can do this at any point in time. And so where we're at in Scripture is we're going to be in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, starting, I think, in verse 23. And this is a section of scripture giving you the context of it again, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, hey, I got this from God. Didn't get it from anybody else. Paul spent time before he went out and preached, went on his missionary journeys. He spent time alone with God. God had him for no less than three years just by himself where God could just pour into him. He said, I got this from God of what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. And in 1 Corinthians, he writes it to them as a correction. Because he says, you guys are doing this wrong. What you guys did is you took communion, remember, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but you decided to add a feast to it. You decided to add a love feast, you called it, where, man, we love each other, and we now all brought food, and we could share food. How many of y'all love a good love feast where there's food involved? Everybody brought their specialty, their potluck, whatever. Yeah, except they can't bring what? Kiwis. Kiwis. No kiwis. She'll die. All right? Literally. For real, ser seriously, they, one day we, we had a little bit of food for an ordina ordination and they came up to church and, and they were kind of new and Terry said, uh, there's Kiwis here, we can't come. And I'm thinking, what a lame excuse to tell us this isn't the church. But then I realized they've been back ever since. But what a, she really can't have Kiwis. But anyways, reel this back in. Here we go. So anyways, they had a great feast. That's what they would do is have a great love feast. Everybody's sharing because in that day and age, Mo, did you know that in Christ's day, 75% of the people were slaves in the Roman Empire? And um, so, first of all, people didn't have a lot. But um, and on top of that, when you became a believer, what happened to even your income? What happened to your job? What, what happened to your family? You got ditched. You're out there. So your family now was the church family. That was it. And so they took care of each other in all of that. And it was a great idea at first. <coughs> but... What ended up happening to the love feast, it ended up becoming a click feast. And what happened was the rich people would bring all the good stuff and they would make the poor people eat scraps. Or they would, they basically started using it for the wrong reason. And Paul said, no, no, no. 
He said, I want to tell you what the Lord's Supper is really for, and I want you to get it back on track. And so that's what we're looking at in our communion with God. So again, as I said, we're going to look back, we're going to look forward, we're going to look in, and we're going to look around. And so you can remember that because you can do that tomorrow morning when you wake up. You don't have to take as long a time as we're doing or whatever on this, but you can remember. Wouldn't that be a great thing to challenge yourself with every morning? Look in to see what, remember what Christ did for you, and, and you'd be grateful. Look forward to him coming again and know where your real home is. You know, look in to say, all right, how am I misrepresenting him? How can I represent him better? God, how can I stay focused in understanding every appointment is a divine appointment and be looking around because most people in this world, which direction do they, are they always looking? They're, they're, they're looking at themselves like, what about me? Why am I missing this? Why don't I have this? How come this isn't working? How come, you know? And it's all about us. This keeps us grounded on what it's really about because you guys know we're not here for that long. Man, for those of us that are born again, I'm looking at you guys. Most of you guys got 10 years, maybe 15. Somebody may, I may only have 25 more years before I'm face to face with Christ, but is that a bad thing? No, dude, Chris, I can't wait. You love your family, but are you going to love heaven? Dude, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be face to face with Christ there in perfection. You've got such a short period of time left on this planet to invest. And that's what it's really about. You know, Emily got hit in, a, in her car. Uh, somebody rear-ended her. She had a stoplight two or three weeks ago, I guess, coming to church. And right there on A1A by North Beach, bam, somebody came into her. I'm glad she's alive. I'm glad her car's getting fixed. But she could have easily been killed. And you're, what, 20 years old? We don't know how long we have, but we know we have it to live for him. So that's why we celebrate this Lord's Supper. So here's where we start. Look back to what Jesus has done for you. Looking in the first two verses. Paul says, I pass this on to you. What I received from where? Where did he get it from? The Lord. He got it from the Lord. Okay, so this isn't his opinion. It's what he got from God. And that's what I'm sharing with you. What I got from God, because the word of God is the word of God. And it is the only authority we have. Everything that we want to believe, everything we put in our belief system must be put through the sieve of the word of God. It's got to be filtered through that. And whatever doesn't fit needs to be tossed out because it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I don't care how good it sounds. It's a lie. So he said, man, I'm giving this to you because I got it from God. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. So he took an ordinary meal. This was an ordinary thing. Yeah, it was Passover, but he took an ordinary meal and he turned it into something special so that every time you eat an ordinary meal, you could think the same way. How many of y'all plan on eating an ordinary meal today? How many are looking for an extraordinary meal? Yeah, dude, I have stuffed peppers cooking. Oh, man. There's a picture of them on Facebook before. I want to show you a picture afterwards. And, and, and dude, man, I, I started them last night, you know, cooking up the meat and the rice and all that stuff. Man, an extraordinary meal. But whatever our meal is that we're getting ready to eat, we can now turn it into something real special. <coughs> we can use it as an opportunity to look back, to look forward, to look uh, in and look around. He said, man, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took some bread. Jesus took an ordinary meal and turned it into something special. He gave thanks to God for it. How many of y'all give thanks? <laughs> If you ever want to eat in a hurry, hire Emily to pray for your meal, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, she's, she's for hire. You, you would pray for money right now. You'd pray for free. You'd pray for a meal, right? You know, as long as it's something you could eat, right? But yes, and, and, and we don't look at it as disrespectful. When she was little, I used to say, Emily, you got to really be thankful. And she's like, I am. I just don't want to wait so long to eat. So we pray with Emily. She's like, thank you, Jesus, for our food. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a prayer. But she really means it, and we know she does. And if we want a longer one, we can just hold hands a little longer. But, um, but yeah, he gave thanks for the food, all right? So he gave thanks for that food. And he said um, it, it, he broke it. Now, he did something different. When he broke the bread in pieces, he said, this is my body. This represents my body. It's not technically his body. We don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, and I'm not going to go into that at this point but we believe it is a representation. Any bread that you break, any food that you eat, you can use this as a reminder of what, his, of what he did for you. But he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in what? 
remember when you remember which direction you look back. you look back all right so that's what he's saying whenever you eat look back how many of you if you looked back every time you ate you would be a more spiritual person i'm looking at some of y'all y'all eat man no I'm just, no all of us literally can you imagine if every time you ate you looked back how often would you be thinking about Christ? How many of y'all are snackers, man? <laughs> Thank you, G. I mean, I'm just saying, that's what it's about. It's to remind us in all of this. But let's take a look at this and looking back. Look back to his body. And often where, where I go with this, where I'm normally taken, is, is those last 24 hours of his life. But as I was praying and saying, God, you know, I'm looking it over again and saying, God, you know where he took me? He took me to Christmas. That's where he started with me when he said, this is my body. When did God have a body? When did he get a body? At Christmas, the incarnation. I got to tell you, all 30 years of doing Lord's Supper, I've never thought of his body at incarnation in that way in doing communion. But we've talked about this before, of what it meant for God, for God to become a human. For some of us, we have a high perspective on who humans are, and we think that here's God, here's God and here's us. When in, when in fact, the book of Isaiah tells us it's not even close. God's beyond where we can even see, and here we are. And within human ranks, here's where all of us rank. We're all in there. Actually, we're all just in the same boat, different seats, right? We talked about before, what if, what, Craig, what if, what if God called you to save the cockroaches? We've talked about this before. If God said, I want to save the cockroaches, Craig, and I want you to be the savior of the cockroaches. In order for you to communicate with the cockroaches, what would you have to become? You'd have to become a cockroach. That's just taking a big risk. Would you as a cockroach have to trust God the Father for the fact that no one would kill you? That you wouldn't get squished? Yeah. That you wouldn't get killed by all the other cockroaches until it was time to get killed. Yeah. But how many of you would be willing to let God turn you into cockroach to save the cockroaches. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, think about that. Because you're thinking, well, man, from man to a cockroach, that's a way farther stretch than from God to becoming man. No, it's not. From God to becoming a man in incarnation is, 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 way, is way farther away than a man becoming a cockroach in the scheme of things when you understand who God is. And as you grow in reading his word and, and you, you look at his word and you understand who he is, yes, he's your friend. Yeah, if you're saved, yes, he's your savior. Yes, he is God almighty. And we don't even compare, but he was willing to come and put on the rags of humanity, become a man. Where was he born? What did scripture tell us? Where, what was the unique characteristic not necessarily the swaddling clothes, although there's some symbolism there and so on, but the, all the babies had swaddling clothes. But what, were, what did Jesus, where was he laid that would have been easy for the shepherds and everyone else to recognize that this is the Messiah? Where was he put? In a feeding trough full of cow slobber, goat slobber. I'm, I'm, I mean, his mom might have flushed up the, the hay or something, but... But the king of kings and lord of lords was put there. Why did he allow himself? Could he not have orchestrated a better beginning? Could he not, could he, according to us, a better beginning? Could he not have orchestrated a better maternity ward to be found in? A more sanitary one? No. Yeah, he could have done it all, but he did that to make himself accessible to everyone. And not only was it accessible, what was he really telling us about this world and the material possessions that seemed to be so important to us? How important was that to God when he became man? Was that important at all? Where, what kind of neighborhood did Jesus live in? What kind of subdivision? What kind of condo association uh, occupied his mind all the time? What kind, of, what kind of facilities did Jesus live in while he was here? Tom, what do you have? Where did he lay his head, Tom? Wherever, he said, foxes have holes, man, different things have to, but uh, dude, I got a rock. You guys want to follow me? This is where I, and, and so, so God, when he came here, he was showing us how unimportant most of the things that we make important are. Sometimes our life is nothing about our comfort, nothing about our possessions, nothing about our stuff. Think about when something breaks. Dude, my oak tree's still not down. And the pollen started clogging my pool. And I was ready to lose my pool again. And so I cleaned everything and went to turn it back on. And it wouldn't get suction. And now my pool pump was up. And it ruined my day. 
And I started thinking about it as I was talking to him. And he's like, really? How important is this to somebody in Haiti? <laughs> well, it's not because they don't have a pool. Mine's going to be green. Well, maybe your wife will let you drain it and you can skateboard in it finally. It's, it's a dream I have, okay? When I was a kid, I'd have loved to skateboard in my pool. But what I'm saying is, is like how many of your material things have to get messed up, either messed up or you don't have or need and replaced or whatever to ruin your day. And so, again, I started thinking, this is my body. He came here, and he came in the most base form, came as an infant. Oh, by the way, who was he totally, who was an infant totally dependent upon? Their parents? Yeah. And he was totally dependent on his parents, but on the fact that God, his parents were listening to God. If God, hey, do you think Satan wanted to take a little baby out, knowing that that would be the Messiah? Yeah. So all his protection, everything, total dependence on God the Father. He taught us so many things. So you think back when he says, man, this is my body. He had to come here. Hey, how many of y'all have been perturbed with another human being? Even a believer in the body of Christ has ticked you off, let's just say, in your lifetime. Last year? In the last month? The last week? The last day? The last two seconds ago, and it's probably me, or is that person with the perfume on in front of you somewhere? No, I'm just joking, but I'm just saying. We get ticked off. How many times did Jesus get ticked off to the point of sinning? None. In fact, the only ticked off, he had righteous ticked offness. We call that righteous indignation. Every bit of ticked off he was was righteously, was righteous indignation. He had the right to be. But he wasn't annoyed when people didn't do what he wanted them to do. He wasn't annoyed. He, wasn't, he understood man. He understood where people were. He understood he was patient. He was kind. He was gentle. He was meek. He was full of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't mean he didn't correct them. And it didn't mean that, he, that when people were spreading lies, he didn't, he didn't stop those lies like he did with the Pharisees. But the fact is, is that he never sinned. So you think about when you look back, you know, sometimes we look back and we think about what he did on the cross, which was phenomenal. To think of the previous, the, the, the 24 hours where he's trying and, and, and it's written in John 14, 15. He's telling them about the spirit he's going to send, the comforter. He's talking about the vine. He's talking about how, man, it's going to be better that I go away and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And he's trying to help them understand I'm not leaving you hanging by yourself. But instead, you're going to be better off. I've tried all these things. And while he's trying to spend time and have comfort with his friends on that last night, what were they doing? Arguing who's going to be. Yeah, they didn't even get the plan yet. They still thought he was going to kick Roman butt. And they were going to be in charge with him. That's the millennial kingdom. They missed it because they were looking for a certain kind of savior. And so during that time, man, his friends let him down. His friends couldn't even stay and pray with him. And the prayers were really for his friends, not even him. And so he, he, he didn't have all that going on. Then he was illegally arrested, went through six illegal trials. He was beat, according to Isaiah, beyond recognition. And how much did he retaliate? You remember that time he brought the angels down? and he No, he didn't. He said, I could have. But he knew his purpose. And when we know our purpose... And we know God's plan. All those little things just don't seem to perturb us as much, do they? That's what the Lord suffers for. So today, when we have a little opportunity to, to look back and think about what he did in his body, think about the fact of how humble he came. Maybe today you're being really bothered by something you think you should have and you don't have. I don't know. I don't know why God has got me preaching the Lord's Supper, why we're celebrating that today. I'm not sure for you. I know for me, and I will know even more when I'm done. But we are supposed to look back. And I'm just telling you where he took me immediately was back to the incarnation through his everyday life. And I could think of, uh, you know, again, the end. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You were beat beyond recognition. He realized from noon to 3 o'clock, when the sun went down at noon, he's on the cross. You realize at that time, the book of Isaiah also says that God the Father laid, slammed on him all of the past, present, and future sins of the world. Man, our sins are enough, aren't they, Gary? Can you imagine if all your sins were just slammed on you right now? You'd be slain in the spirit, wouldn't you? Man, you'd be laying there crying and wailing like a baby. He had the entire world. He had yours, mine, everyone's. What a man. What a God. And so what he did in those last 12 hours was pretty phenomenal. In all of that, 
But I want you to think beyond. I want you to think about him actually even coming. I want you to think about what his life was like while he was here and all the things he did for you. Hey, Sana, do you think anybody ever ticked him off in the carpenter shop enough for him to say, you know what, I've had it. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> do you think they could have ticked you off enough? Every one of us. He didn't let it get to him because he knew his purpose. He knew the plan, knew what was going on. So look, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it. He said, broken in pieces. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Man, every time you eat this meal, especially when you as a church celebrate communion, have the Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Think back of all that I have done for you. And by far the most important thing that he did for us was what? What, Seth? What was the most? You have spent like, what'd you say? 89 hours in the first chapter, the first verse of Romans and 832 hours in the second verse of Romans. I, I'm not even exaggerating, but uh, what was the most important thing he did for us by far? He took the wrath the Father had for us because of our sins. He took all that wrath and paid for our sins, man. He took it for us, you know? And now we get, God looks and treats us like a perfect Jesus because he took a perfect Jesus and treated him like us. There should be a Bible verse like that, shouldn't there? There is, actually, right? In Ephesians, I think, right? Yeah. Amen. So he said, do this and remember to me. So today, when you come up here at the end, you'll, you'll grab some of this bread right here. Gary, I'm going to let you go first, man. <laughs> uh, it's flu season. I, I do know some of the people with the flu are not here today. So anyways, you can get some. But anyways, grab a, grab a piece of bread and grab a little cup of juice. And, and I want you to go back to your seat and kind of chill as the band kind of noodles a little bit. But I want you to be thinking about what he did for you. Think back to all he's done for you. Hey, we sang, we sang a song about him rescuing you and you're a survivor. Man, what did he rescue you from? You know, think back on what he rescued you from, what your life would be like without him. Ask him, ask the Holy Spirit of God. Say, Holy Spirit of God, will you tell me what Jesus did for me? Remind me, I know so many things, but will you remind me and let him bring that up to you? all the things he has done for you. But the important thing is that we look back. Look what he also did here in the same thing, in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper. And he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people. And, and let me ask you a question. The old covenant between God and his people, the Mosaic covenant, the one that Moses gave them from Mount Sinai and all of that, that covenant was, was based on their obedience. You obey me, I'll bless your socks off. And everybody will see that, and they'll want to be part of that. And boom, there it is. It's all based on your behavior with me. But if you don't obey me, what was going to happen to them? <laughs> I'm going to curse you. I am going to, I'm going to mess you up so nobody even associates you with me. In essence, that was the old covenant. But he said there's a new covenant. Look at this. In this cup is the new covenant, and it's between God and who? Again, his people. Right. So we have a new covenant if you're born again and it's an agreement confirmed by your obedience. Is that what it says? Got confirmed by 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 just your actions, not your thoughts, <laughs> just your words, not your intentions. Right. That's the that's the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> you know, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount wasn't really tell us how to behave. He was trying to tell us you can't behave. You need a savior. You can't do this until you're born again. But this covenant now was confirmed by what? What does it say? His blood, which represented his perfection. So guess what? When you're born again, now he looks down at you and he sees the blood of Christ with his favorite thing. It's the only sacrifice he would accept. He looks down upon you and you're accepted because he said that's acceptable. How many of you already blown perfection? Anybody blown perfection? Yeah. He didn't. And that's what we're judged by if you're born again. You're judged by what he did on the cross. Now, as his children, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, does that mean you act any way you want? No. Hey, dude, your kids start misrepresenting. Your kids come over here and start playing with the soundboard and, you know, air guitar and this. And your kids start messing with everything. What are you going to do? Just let them go? No, you're going to correct them, right? I hope you are. Otherwise, we're going to. No, I'm just messing with you. But <laughs> I'm a grandpa. <laughs> it's like, but, but yeah, you're going to correct your own kids. But what if some other kids are messing up? 
you, you might look at them. You might, whose responsibility is to correct their kids? The parents. Yeah. So him is your parent. <laughs> Anybody else have a perfect parent? <laughs> yeah. He's a perfect parent. So you not think he's going to correct us when we misrepresent him? That's why he said to have the Lord suffer. But positionally, when he looks down, he sees the blood of Christ and you are positionally perfect which is all the more reason why, practically speaking, you need to act like him, become more like him. So he said, this agreement, this covenant is not based on your behavior. Because how many could, of y'all could have got into heaven based on your behavior? <laughs> Dude, I blew it in the womb. <laughs> that, that should be a shirt. I blew it in the womb. <laughs> to be able to share the gospel from it, right? Man, he covered me with his blood. Think about that when you're thinking back, that you'd have no salvation except for him. And he had to give you the desire and the ability to even believe that and accept it. That's called grace. And through that, you get faith. Now, he says again, do this in remembrance of me as often as you what? Hey, so every time you eat, every time you drink, you could use it as an opportunity to look back for what he's done for you. You don't have to wait for church to say, well, you haven't had communion and I'm getting awful wretched right here. You know, no, have communion whenever you want. But make sure you don't miss the point of it today. This is what each and every one of us are supposed to do is at the beginning when we grab this, man, you're supposed to meditate and think back to all that he's done for you. I've given you some things, but ask the Holy Spirit and let him share with you. So that's looking back. Now look at this. He says, look forward. We're supposed to look forward to his return. Anybody looking forward to his return? Dude, is the world getting better? Don't you like all the great news we heard this week of how much better everybody in the Middle East is getting along and how, how much better our politicians are getting along? And, hey, you know what peace treaties are? It's a time for countries to reload. <laughs> That's really all they are. That's all they've ever been. This world's not getting better, man. And things are not getting better. We may think we're a little more healthy, but how many of y'all found some more aches and pains this week? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm looking forward to eternity, being with him in perfection. And let me ask you a question. When Christ never sinned, do you think anybody ever tried to take Christ off? Yeah. And, and, but the reason, why did he not sweat the small stuff? And you know what the small stuff was? Everything on this planet. Why didn't he sweat it? Because he knew what, Chris? He knew his real home was where? In heaven. And he knew within 33 years from birth he was going to be there. We don't even know when, but it isn't going to be long. I'm telling you, for some of you right now, it's not long unless you start getting in shape. So go see Sharla. No, I'm just joking. But literally, he didn't sweat the small stuff. And the small stuff was everything that happened on earth. He didn't sweat any of it because... This wasn't his home. He had a mission to accomplish. And all he had to do was follow and listen to God the Father, stay so closely knit to him, and do what he wanted to do. And when God was done with him, it wasn't some punishment that he killed him. It was a reward that you're gone. You don't have to stay here anymore. Leave this place and come to perfection. Do you understand that's what the next life is? It's not about this one unless you make it about this one in which you are going to be stressed. You are going to have anxiety. You are going to sweat the small stuff. You're going to focus on the small stuff. You're going to try to figure the small stuff out. You're, that's what your life will be consumed with, and you're going to miss everything God had in store for you here, those divine appointments, the comfort that he has to offer. The peace to know that if everything in your world burned up and blew up, it would mean absolutely nothing because he's everything. But that doesn't happen until you allow him to become everything. I just want you to know I'm working on it. We were cleaning out my kitchen and Ashley was trying to help me get rid of cast iron. God forbid. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's my cast iron. You can get rid of it after I pass it down to you because that's all the inheritance you're getting. <laughs> no, I'm just like, but, but yeah, I, I'm still working on trying not to sweat the small stuff. Guys, I'm not there. That's why I need communion. I need to be looking forward to his return. Look at what this says. Look what he says. He said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing. What does it mean to announce something? Hey, Judy, what does it mean to announce something? Yeah, tell people. Jade's coming. Jade's coming. Oh, guess what happened when Jade there? 
You know? And, and, and that's not, I, I love it. Keep it up. We announce things all the time, right? But he's saying as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said every time you do it for the reason I'm asking you to do it, you will be announcing the Lord's what? His birth? No, his death. We're commanded numerous times celebrate. That's why we're supposed to gather on Sundays. It's to celebrate the resurrection. It's called Resurrection Sunday. It's to remind us we don't live in our old power. We live in a new power that's his. So <clears throat> he said you're announcing the Lord's death. And how long are we supposed to do this for? Look what he says until he comes again. Has he come yet? No. He's coming to heart. We, so, but he has not come back yet. And when he comes back, I think the next great event for me and for you guys, I, th I believe what the Bible teaches, the next great event is the rapture. I believe we're going to be in heaven at the wedding supper, of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we as, as the body of believers, as the bride, are going to be united with our groom. And, man, I did a wedding last night that was awesome. And I have never been to a wedding where they just didn't try to outdo themselves with everything. And, man, I was just looking at the little banquet hall and all the special things. I couldn't even imagine what the wedding was going to be like when we meet our groom, Christ. Can you imagine how awesome that wedding is going to be? Phenomenal. And he's going to be there. And we're going to understand him, and we're not going to have flesh in the way. So I said, every time you eat this bread, drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So is that looking backwards? No, it's looking forward. You're looking forward. And I'm just going to say, if you're, I'm not telling you to hate this life by any means. I'm telling you not to live for this life. We live for him. He's told us numerous times. You go read the Bible cover to cover. And even all of the great men and women of God in Hebrews chapter 11, none of them were looking for their reward on this planet. That's a whole chapter of people that he praises them for their faith. And it says every one of them were looking forward to the city that, was, that God built. They were looking forward to the Abraham was promised all this land. How much land did he own when he died? Anybody know? Only the spot, Machpelah. Remember that? He bought Machpelah. He only owned the place where he was buried. That's it. But God promised him all of that. He was just part of the plan. He was looking forward to eternity, the same thing we're supposed to be looking forward to. Man, do you realize how good that's going to be? <laughs> when we as believers go, it's going to be an awesome thing. And we're just going to have to trust everybody left behind is going to see it that way. That's why I keep preaching it, because it's in the Bible. It's, in, it's the word. So, man, it says, until he comes again. So we look back to what he did for us. We look forward. Hey, anybody here, we do this kind of often, but is there anybody thinking about something they're looking forward to in heaven? Anybody? Can be awake? Yeah, Judy, what are you looking forward to in heaven? Huh? No sin. No sin. Charlie will never be able to get in trouble with you again. <laughs> Can you believe that? Is that not awesome? Yeah, with anybody. What else? Anybody else looking for forward to something in heaven? Yeah. No pain. No pain. Yeah. There will be no pain. Yeah. But there's pain here. It's part of the curse. There's sin here. It's part of the curse. What else? What else are you looking for? Joan, what are you looking forward to? Seeing God. Seeing God. And how much, how, how much are you going to see of God? <laughs> and, and how much of his glory, are, like here, we can only just get little glimpses of his glory. What happened to anybody in the Bible, even when a glorious angel just showed up? What did they all say on the count of three? One, two, three. Ah! Ah! And they fell dead, right? And then the angel's like, oh, hey, don't be afraid. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to ask God why they didn't work that out ahead of time and get a warning. But we're going to see God's full glory all the time. Forever and ever. How many of y'all ever have seen a glimpse of his glory while you're here and it blew you away? Do you understand you're going to be living in that? That's awesome. So what else? Anyone else? Peace. What's that? Peace. Real peace. Perfect peace. Yeah. And nothing's ever going to mess it up. It's not even peace where I better enjoy it. You know, people say, enjoy this good time because it ain't going to last. <laughs> now this is going to last forever. Amen. How about you, Nina? Yeah, being reunited with people who you know are there. And you're all going to be worshiping him together. That's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyone else before we move on to the tough stuff? <laughs> because he tells us to look back. He tells us to look forward. And now he kind of corrects the Corinthians. 
for what they were messing this up for. He says, I want you to look in and, and, and to judge yourself so no one else has to. And in fact, specifically, who says they're going to judge you if you don't? God does. God says, you're going to represent me. You know, you represent me. If you don't, on a daily basis, we should be asking the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it? God, how can I represent you better? What is keeping me from representing? And, and we should be correcting things because we've already said we've blown perfection, so none of us have reached that, and he's perfect. So he says, man, judge yourself so no one else has to. Look at this. So anyone, who's, who's an anyone here? Anybody here in anyone? Yeah. Who's not in anyone? All right, good. <laughs> anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup. So I'm talking about even coming up here. To sell. So he tells us we're supposed to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But yet, if you do it the wrong way, there's some consequences. So he says, when you do it, I want you to do it, but you got to do it in the right way. So anyone who eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord, what is the next word? Unworthily, <laughs> flippantly, in just uh, whatever. I'm just doing it because I'm in line because everybody else is in line. I'm not going to do what they're doing. I'm just going to get it over with. I don't really believe in this stuff anyways. Well... By the way, we have open communion, which means anyone who is a believer who has given their life to Christ, and we're all part of that same Christ, that family of Christ, you're welcome to come do this. In fact, I think you're commanded to. But if you've never given your life to Christ, you're not sure you have, or when you die, you're not positive you got eternal life because of what Christ did. Man, you could do that, not just so you can come up and have this, but so you can have eternal life. So it's open to anyone who is a believer. But he says, if you just do this and you do it in a flippant, unworthy manner, you are what? What's the next word? You, they, they is what? Guilty. Guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Could you sin against anything more important than the body and blood of the Lord? I told you when he looks down on you and he sees the blood of Jesus, that's his favorite thing. You would be sinning against that sacrifice. You'd be making light of that sacrifice. He made that sacrifice so we could have this new covenant. And he says, now representing me as children, I want you to represent me. This is an opportunity for me. You ask me, what is it I need to correct? And he says this. It may be an opportunity for you to confess what you already know you need to correct. But it's a time now to get it corrected. Even if you say, well, I do this every Lord's Supper. I say the same thing every Lord's Supper. And I do it again. And I do it. Well, you know what? He says, do it again. And then figure out how not to do it, how to tap into his grace, how to believe what his word says that you don't have to. So he says, man, don't do it in an unworthy way, because then you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. He said, that's why you should examine yourself. So I'll tell you what, we'll change it up because, you know, we have that authority, right? So how about you examine your husband? And your, and your husband examined that lady behind you. No, I'm just not there. <laughs> How about we pick numbers? Who to, no, is that what he says? Hey, who's the best one to examine you, Tom? You. You and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, examine me. Do an audit on me. You know, do we have to bring the IRS in here? No, Wouldn't that be terrifying? We got God. We're asking God to examine us in this. He said, you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So th take that as an opportunity. Look back to what he's done for you. Look forward to your home in heaven and say, man, because I'm so grateful for that, I want to look in and make sure I represent you for this teeny tiny amount of time that I'm here on this planet. And look what he said to the Corinthians. Though. He said, if you eat this bread and drink this cup without honoring the body of Christ, he said, you're eating and drinking what? Judgment. Judgment from God upon you. So you're here, dude. Some of y'all are looking saying, what the heck did you bring me here for? <laughs> to, to your wife or your husband or somebody like, you're here. You've heard this. This is what we do. He said, you're so God brought you here to examine yourself, to look back at what he did, look forward to him coming again, but to look in. Isn't it good for us to become more like Christ? So why would you want judgment when you can have something better, like becoming more like Christ? He said, that's why, look at this, many of you in the Corinthian church are weak and you're sick, and some of you have even what? Died. 
You know what he's talking about? He's saying, if I've corrected you, corrected you, corrected you, corrected you, and you keep blowing me off, you, or you don't even, if you're representing me, and I am tired of you representing me, I'm going to take you home. Or I'm going to give you something else to think about until you can look where, nowhere but up and look at me. I'm going to get your attention some way, somehow. So wouldn't it be good to just give it to him now? Look back, look forward. Spend the time looking in. And he said, because if you don't, there's some consequences. But look what he says. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. In other words, hey, when you corrected your kids, hey, Christine, when you got, you're, you got big boys, right? Did all you have to do is say, now, honey, clean up your room and listen to mommy and daddy. And, and they were perfect and did it, right? Absolutely not. Did you ever have to call in daddy to lay down some consequences? Did you ever have to lay down some consequences? If you don't do this, did you ever lay down consequences, Mike? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of y'all remember the belt before that became illegal? I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> we had paddles, belts, all kinds of things, and look how we turned out. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Sometimes we don't get it by just somebody saying something to us, do we? How many of y'all are so hard-headed admittedly so hard-headed that sometimes you need a spanking. Anybody? Raise your hand and say, God, I need a spanking. <laughs> That's literally what we're supposed to be doing in this Lord's Supper is, God, if I need a spanking, give it to me, but God, have mercy on me. Give me one more chance. I want to fix this and represent you right. But God, no matter what, even if I don't get it, if it takes a spanking, God, I, need, I want that from you because being like you is so important. But if we should examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. And then, so the last point here, he says, the purpose of all of this, the reason we look back and are so grateful for what he's done for us, and we're looking forward, looking to what our glorious future is like. Man, because of that, we look in to make sure we represent him for this teeny tiny amount of time we're here on this planet not so that we can have our best day, not so we, it's not for us. The fruit of the spirit, love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meaning that's not for us. Does a fruit tree eat its own fruit? No, who does a fruit tree produce fruit for? Others, that's what it's for. And that's what he says, man, so that we can look around you study the New Testament. You study from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason he's left you here is for others. Look around to help others escape the eternal judgment. And in case you were wondering if there really was one, look at this. He's still talking about us if we don't want to judge ourselves. He said, yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be what? So we won't be condemned. Okay, along with who? So there's a world that's being condemned, right? And we do know, we do know from other parts of scripture that there are people who die without Christ that are going to hell. And the only ticket we have in getting into heaven is what Christ did on the cross. That's why the gospel message is so urgent. That's why it's key. You cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds. The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And when you make it about you, you start trying to see all the benefits you can get out of all of it. And then you're disappointed and you're lit down and you're up and you're all this other stuff. When you understand it's about Christ, you learn who Christ is in the Bible. And you want to understand what a great privilege it is that you get to be his child, his brother, that you're, you're in his kingdom, that he chose you. And guess what? You don't sweat the small stuff. And the small stuff's everything else in this world. When you understand what you really have in Christ, and that's what the book of Colossians is really about. But he says here, man, the whole purpose of this Lord's Supper is so that you, the church, are the ones to represent me in this world. The whole purpose is I want you to look back. I want you to look forward to see what you got. Then I want you to look in to see where you should be so that you can look around and represent me to this world. Because until I take you home, that's what we do. That's your sole purpose. So many people I know, what's my purpose in life? What's my plan? What are you gonna, you know what your plan is? You represent Christ. 
guess what? You may. How many of y'all have had a few different seasons in life? <laughs> yeah. Seasons change. But what's constant through it all is you represent Christ. So that's what communion with God is. All right, help me out one more time for those of you who are sleeping. Wake the person up next to you. Look back. Look forward. Look in so you can look around. I'm going to leave that up, well, unless the band changes it. But would you guys come on up? And, um, or whoever, maybe one of y'all, a couple of y'all play something just kind of noodle, doodle, <laughs> whatever y'all musicians call it. <laughs> but listen, let's pray. And after the prayer, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to come up and do watch EJ's uh, thing, not, you know, because you might trip and fall, but because he gets really angry if you touch it. No, but <laughs> he's very OCD. If you even just mess up one of those, yeah. But anyways, uh, be careful of this line right here. But come on up and, and grab a piece of bread, grab some juice, and head back. And um, really spend that time looking back, looking forward, looking in, and looking around. Father, thank you so much for commanding us to observe the Lord's Supper, to celebrate what we have. Father, I pray you would give every person here new, fresh insight, something that they couldn't even think of, let alone thought of before, of what you did for them when they look back. Father, I get, pray you would give that same fresh insight to all those who desire it when they look forward to what it's going to be like to be with you in heaven. Father, I pray you'd give us a truthful inventory, a truthful um, assessment of who we are and what needs to be fixed. And you give us both encouragement and conviction as we look in, Father, because no matter how much it hurts to see our true self, it's kind of like seeing a bad picture. We, we think we, it's just a bad picture, but that's really us, not posed the way we like. And we're so good at posing. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to show us what we truly look like because it's better that we look like you. So help us to really see what we look like so that then our focus will be to look out and look around. And even if people don't want to hear that gospel, if they've heard it again and again and they've rejected you and that gospel and not us, Father, people can see the gospel in our lives as we live it out for you. So thank you for making us do the hard stuff and celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.